Amen. Good morning, church. As you all grab a seat, you can open up your Bibles to Genesis uh, chapter 22. We are continuing on in our study of the book of Genesis. And uh, if you've been with us the past uh, several weeks, we've been uh, looking at Abraham, the, the one who God promised would be built into a nation. And uh, over time, uh, Abraham and Sarah were waiting on that promise for years, which turned into decades. And then last week, we finally saw the, the fruit, the blessing of the promise. You know, God's word uh, uses fruit all throughout to describe a blessing. And Abraham and Sarah finally, last week, see the blessing. The promise fulfilled. Isaac, the son of the promise. Finally. Have you ever guys ever felt like that? You're praying for something, you're praying, Lord, I, I'm asking for this blessing, I'm asking for you to move, and then you, you finally get it, and man, it's, I have it. But for uh, Abraham, it's, it's more than that. It's not just Isaac, it's that God's going to bless him in multiple, multiple generations that eventually his children are going to be more numerous than the sand on the seashore. That's pretty incredible. Have you guys ever felt that way? I got the one blessing, but man, it just feels like the Lord is continuing to overflow His goodness. My arms are full. God has blessed in such incredible ways. Everything is up and to the right. I've been obedient, and the Lord seems to be moving, and it's, oh, this is such a great season. And then it happens. The unexpected circumstance, the difficult obedience, the challenge that I didn't see coming, the hard circumstance. Lord, I thought I was obeying you. I thought everything was going in the right direction. You were blessing, and I got everything I wanted, and now it's hard. Believing God for something when I have nothing is one thing. But believing God for something when it feels like he's actively ripping it from my hands, that's something else entirely. What do I do in the uncertainty? How do I respond? How do I move forward? How do I make something of this situation that I don't understand? It's right here in this uncertainty that God's word is going to meet us this week. So let's take these thoughts, these feelings, these experiences, let's take them to the Lord in prayer. Lord, your word is so good, and we're going to open it up today, Lord, and I know that your Holy Spirit is here, that he is active, that he's churning these things over in our soul already. Lord, help us to be attentive to him. Help us to understand your word, to be moved by your word, and ultimately to apply it, to live by it, to, to see you in it. So Lord, I just pray that that would lead us to worship. Pray these things in his name, Jesus Christ. Amen. All right, so let's dive in. Chapter 22, verse 1. Here we go. After these things, God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham, and he said, here I am. He said, take your son, your only son, Isaac, 
whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I shall tell you. It's interesting to think Abraham hasn't done anything wrong. There's nowhere that it says, because Abraham X, God decided to test him. Abraham had been living in the land of the Philistines for quite some time. It says at the end of chapter 21 that he would strike up a treaty with uh, the uh, governors, the, the leaders of the land of the Philistines, and that he would sojourn there. That means like a, uh, to stay, travel, journey there. He would rest there for many days. Uh, based on that passage and some other timeline stuff that comes up from Sarah and things like that, the, the best guess is that Isaac is about 20 years old at this point. That is a long time to live with the child of the promise. A long time to have waited for decades and decades and then to finally receive it and then to live with it for so long and God chooses this moment right here to test Abraham. Had Isaac become too important to Abraham? Had he in all of those years forgotten about God? Had he wandered? We, we don't know, but we know what the Lord is after. He says, take your son, your only son, Isaac, whom you love. <laughs> I got it the first time, Lord. Your son, your only son, Isaac, the one whom you love. He brings it up three times and go to this place and offer him as a sacrifice to me. See, Abraham's greatest test followed God's greatest blessing. God makes it clear. He's going straight after the child of the promise. The most loved thing in Abraham's life. But I think God, in speaking to Abraham the way he does, he isn't just being aggressive. It, he isn't being mean or vindictive. By bringing it up three times, I, I think God is being compassionate. It's comforting to know that we're in the, when you're in the midst of the uncertainty, when you're in the midst of those seasons where you don't know What's going on? God is telling Abraham that he understands. He's saying, I know that it's your son. I know that it's your only son, Isaac, and I know that this is the one whom you love. I know what I'm asking of you. So now Abraham's faith is being tested, and uh, we get to see two things. Abraham knows two things. The first thing he knows is that, number one, through Isaac, the promise of many nations will be fulfilled. God has told him that it's going to be through Isaac that this comes out. It's a beautiful blessing, and so he has confidence in that. He's ready for it. And now he knows that, two, he's supposed to sacrifice Isaac. Those two statements don't go together. It's incongruous. It's impossible. They don't make sense. Lord, if I do the second thing, how in the world will you ever make that first thing come into being? What do I do when the obedience seems to conflict with the promise? Verse 3, so Abraham rose early in the morning, saddled his donkey, and took two of his young men with him, and his son, the beloved son, Isaac. 
And he cut the wood for the burnt offering and arose and went to the place of which God had told him. Number one, in the uncertainty, obey the word of God immediately. Abraham's given this instruction, and Abraham obeys immediately. Based on this, the passage, it appears that he, he starts to make the preparations the very next day. In the uncertainty, he obeys immediately. Uh, how many of you have ever assembled an Ikea product? If you have, I count you among God's most sanctified. <laughs> when we moved here uh, a couple of years ago, we bought uh, some bunk beds for two of our boys. And, you know, you pull them out and you're like, ah, okay, this is a, a lot of boards. And you start to put them together and it's like you got, this thing seems to appear to go together and it's got some slats and I think this is going to be a ladder at some point. And uh, I got into building this thing and I, <laughs> I get to this place where I'm like, there's no way this is a bunk bed. <laughs> like I don't understand how if I just follow the instructions it, that, that we're going to get a bunk bed that actually I'm going to let my children sleep on out of this pile of things. And I actually got to the point where I was like, uh, this can't be right. So I undid like four steps. I was like, okay, I'm going to really follow the instructions this time. And then I put it back together and I'm, <laughs> I'm exactly back where I was. I, in my mind, I'm like, there is no way a bunk bed comes out of this. That's the way we are in life. Lord, if I do what you've instructed... There's no way it'll result in what you've promised. Lord, if I sacrifice Isaac, there's no way you'll be able to make him into a father of many nations. It just can't happen. Lord, if I stay in this unloving marriage, there's no way you can turn it into a God-honoring marriage. It's already dead. Lord, if I work less and I invest in my family and I make disciples in my home, then there's no way I'll be able to pay the bills. I've crunched the numbers. Lord, if I stay pure until marriage, there's no way I'll find a compatible spouse. Lord, if I share the gospel with my friends at work, I won't have friends at work. Lord, if I confess my sins to my small group, won't have people that love me and respect me anymore. Lord, if I apologize or I forgive, there's no way you'll keep me from being hurt again. Lord, if I do that, there's no way that this will ever happen. If I obey there's no way you'll bring about the blessing. It just doesn't make sense. I had a dear friend a few months ago who was going through substantial marriage troubles. And I called him up to challenge him and said, dude, like you're pursuing an unbiblical divorce. And he says to me, I know and I don't care. I don't see how God can bring this back. It's already over. That's not an obedience problem. That's a faith problem. 
And we find ourselves in these situations all the time. When the first thing doesn't make sense with the second thing, then I got to go do it my own way. But Abraham had done that already. Abraham had tried it his own way. Church, I've done that. I've tried it my own way. And it doesn't work. So even when obedience seems like the opposite of the best thing, it will always bring about the best thing, even when it's not what you think. That's the example of Abraham. The faith of Abraham is immediate obedience to God's word. When I have no idea how this is going to work out, I'd better obey. And Abraham's obedience sets the table for what's to come. Verse 3, so Abraham rose early in the morning, saddled his donkey, and took two of his young men with him and his son Isaac. And he cut the wood for the burnt offering and arose and went to the place of which God had told him. Verse 4, on the third day, Abraham lifted up his eyes and saw the place from afar. Then Abraham said to his young men, stay here with the donkey. I and the boy will go over there and worship and come again to you. What do you think Abraham is feeling as he makes his way to Mount Moriah? Each step on the journey is one step closer to that mountain. Wake up in the morning, make the preparations, and first day's journey, at least I have tomorrow. Second day's journey, well, at at least I have tomorrow. The third day of the journey, he says he lifts his eyes, and he sees the place from afar. You know what's coming, and you see it. How would you feel? Has he been wrestling through the pain of it all? Has he been struggling with his own strength? Lord, when I get to this place, am I, am I going to be able to go through with it? I don't think so. Abraham's words in this text are nothing short of incredible. When I first read it, I had to pause and be like, wait, that, that can't, that, I gotta reread this. That can't be what it said. There's no way. Abraham sees the place from afar. He turns and he says, stay here. We will go to that place and come back down to you. Abraham makes a statement of incredible faith. God will come through. The sacrifice of Isaac is not gonna be the end of the story. God's gonna do a miracle. And do you see what it says they're going to do on the mountain? He and Isaac are going to go. What's it say? Verse 5. I will go over there and worship. They'll worship. The mountain that could be the place of my greatest pain instead becomes the site of my deepest worship. Because it's there that God does the miracle. Number one, in the uncertainty, obey the word of God immediately. And number two, in the uncertainty, worship God sacrificially. And Abraham took the wood, verse six, of the burnt offering and laid it on his son Isaac. And he took in his hand the fire and the knife, so they went both of them together. And Isaac calls out to his father, my father. And he says, here I am, son. He said, behold, the fire and the wood, 
But where is the burnt the lamb for the burnt offering? And Abraham said, perhaps obscuring the truth a little bit, God will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering, my son. So they went, both of them together. When they came to the place of which Isaac had told him, Abraham built the altar there and laid the wood in order and bound Isaac his son and laid him on the altar on top of the wood, which for a minute, just think, Abraham's over 100 years old at this point. Isaac's in his 20s. Imagine the faith of Isaac. Then Abraham reached out his hand, took the knife to slaughter his son. But the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. And he said, here I am. And he said, do not lay your hand on the boy or do anything to him for, and underline this, the rest of this sentence, for now I know that you fear God. Seeing that you have not withheld your son, your only son, from me. Worship is sacrifice. Worship is ascribing value to something. Worship is saying this thing, the object of my worship, is of the most valuable, the highest value, the worthiest of my praise. It is the everything to me. Worship is the response of all I am, every fiber of my being, everything that I am, all of it, and all I have, every, every blessing and every resource, every talent and every gift, every second of every day, all of it, of all I am and all I have, submitted to him because of who God is and because of what he's done. Psalm 96 says, Ascribe to the Lord, O families of the peoples. Ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord the glory due his name. Bring an offering and come into his courts. Worship the Lord in the splendor of holiness. Tremble before him all the earth. See, worship refocuses my mind, my soul, my heart, my entire life. It focuses it away from my desire for uh, clarity and certainty and to know what's going to happen and focuses it away from that onto the sureness of the unchanging God we serve. See, when I know the destination that God intends, but I'm not quite sure how we're going to get there, often what can happen is discouragement sets in. Ugh. Worry. What if this never happens? I, I don't know where I'm going. What if it's stuck like this? What if it's like this for the rest of my life? What if I never reach the destination? Number one, obey what you can. And number two, worship. A uh, renowned ethicist by the name of John Cavanaugh writes of a time uh, that he uh, traveled to Calcutta for work, uh, to work for three months at the House of the Dying. Um, this experience was, was a part of his heartfelt search for direction in his life. And I mean, I wish that every time I needed direction, I could just like fly out to India. But the first morning he was there, he met Mother Teresa. She asked, well, what can I do for you? And Kavanaugh asked her to pray for him. What do you want me to pray for? She asked. He responded by <laughs> explaining he'd come thousands of miles from the U.S. to find direction and said, pray that I have clarity. 
she said? No. No, I will not do that. When asked why, she said, clarity is the last thing you are clinging to and must let go of. Kavanaugh commented that she always seemed to have the clarity she longed for. She laughed and said, I have never had clarity. What I have always had is trust. So I will pray that you trust God. I want to know why. I want to know how. I want to know when. I want to be sure. I want to be certain. I want to know always all the things forever and always. But if I know why, if I know how, if I know when, if I have certainty and assuredness always, you know what I don't have? Faith. Abraham doesn't get the why. Abraham doesn't even get the how. All he gets is the what. And sometimes that's all the Lord sees fit to give to us. Here's the what. And what worship does is it resets my mind and refocuses my heart from what isn't to the God that is. The more I worship, the more I focus my heart and mind on the glories of the Lord, the more my problems and tensions and uncertainty and challenges seem to fade into the background. It's not that they become smaller, it's that they become properly sized. And it's not even that they aren't as big as me or bigger than me, it's that I start to see just how big God is. And they start to shrink away. And the result is trust. Abraham is on his way on the, up the mountain and he exhibits the statement to his servants and he chooses the path of worship. He says all of these things that are most dear to me, the things that I want to hold on to, the things that I want to cling to, the, the things that I love, all of these things that are most important to me, you know what? Lord, they're yours. They're not mine to hold on to. So he comes to sacrifice with that heart of worship. So when you don't know what to do, when you don't know how God is going to bring that through this worship. And so Abraham passes this test because of his act of obedience and because of his sacrificial worship. But, but we're not done yet. The best is still ahead. Verse 11, But the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. And he said, Here I am. He said, Do not lay your hand on the boy or do anything to him. For now I know that you fear God, seeing that you have not withheld your son, your only son, from me. And Abraham lifted his eyes and looked, and behold, behind him was a ram caught in a thicket by his horns. And Abraham went and took the ram and offered it up as a burnt offering instead of his son. So Abraham called the name of that place, the Lord will provide. Jehovah Jireh. As it is said to this day, on the mount of the Lord it shall be provided. And the angel of the Lord called to Abraham a second time from heaven and said, By myself I have sworn, declares the Lord, because you have done this, 
and not withheld your son, your only son, that son that you love, I will surely bless you. And I will surely multiply your offspring as the stars of heaven, as the sand that is on the seashore. And your offspring shall possess the gates of his enemies. And in your offspring shall all the nations of the earth be blessed. Because you have obeyed my voice. And so Abraham returned to his young men, just as he said he would. And they arose and went together to Beersheba, and Abraham lived at Beersheba. Number three. In the uncertainty, trust that God will provide. Obey the word of God immediately, worship God sacrificially, and trust that God is going to provide. We knew at the beginning of this passage that uh, God was testing Abraham. But we didn't really get to see the, God, what are you testing? What is it that you're after? What is it that you're looking for? But we get to see it in verse 12. For now I know that you fear God seeing that you have not withheld your son, your only son, from me. Following the biggest blessing, God chooses to test Abraham. Which is greater, Abraham? Do you love Isaac? Or do you fear me? Am I still your God? Even after you got everything that you wanted. Or has your heart wandered? I think sometimes when I've been praying for something and I can uh, scarcely imagine praying for something for decades that God would bring about a blessing and then I finally receive that thing. I'm inclined to be like, yeah, thanks God. And how quickly do I turn my back on the God who gave it to me? until I need something else. But what God is doing in this moment is he's testing Abraham and he's eliciting that response from Abraham. No, no, God, it's yours. All of Abraham's life and experience has prepared his faith for this moment. No matter what, I'll trust in the Lord. When it makes sense and when it doesn't make sense, when I want to and when I don't want to, Abraham believes that God will come through and God does. Look at the words spoken about Abraham in Hebrews chapter 11. By faith, Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac. And he who had received the promises, Abraham, who had received the promises, was in the act of offering up his only son. Of whom it was said, through Isaac shall your offspring be named. And Abraham, considering that God was even able to raise him from the dead, from which, figuratively speaking, he did receive him back. Abraham was completely and totally ready to obey because he believed that God was going to provide. He was ready to sacrifice Isaac on the altar because he believed that God would bring him back. He went up the mountain in worship expecting to see a miracle. And God did provide. But it wasn't in the way that Abraham expected. Abraham went up the mountain expecting resurrection, but God provided substitution. And in doing so, what he did was he foreshadowed the way he would work for centuries to come. 
See, Abraham was called by God to travel to this specific place. You ever wonder why he said, go to this place? Why couldn't it happen around the corner? God said, go to this place in the mountains of Moriah. So God, uh, Abraham called the name of that place, the Lord will provide. And it stuck. On the mount of the Lord it shall be provided, as it is said to this day. A thousand years later, it's said in Second Chronicles chapter 3 that Solomon would build the temple to the living God in the mountains of Moriah. It would be this place, these same mountains that Solomon would build a temple where sacrifice would be made for the people of Israel. And a city would raise up in that barren place and it would become Jerusalem. So a thousand years after Solomon, Jesus would enter Jerusalem in the last week of his life. our final substitute. Abraham was tested by God to sacrifice his son and Isaac calls out to his dad, where's the sacrifice? Abraham says, the Lord will provide a lamb. Abraham says, in faith, fully ready to obey the Lord, God says, you have not withheld your son, your only son. But God stops him and provides a sacrifice substitute. God sent his son, his only son, his beloved son, Jesus Christ, to the cross as a sacrifice. But when Jesus Christ is on the cross and calls out to his father, there's no response. substitute sacrifice he paid the penalty to redeem us and his resurrection from the dead seals the victory we like Isaac are brought back from spiritual death by his sacrifice so in the uncertainty we can trust that God will provide because he has provided it may not always be the way that we want may not always be the way that we expect but we can trust that God will provide exactly what we need because he has provided exactly what we need. In Romans chapter 8, verse 31 and 32, Paul uses the same language. When this passage in Genesis was translated into the Greek, Paul uses the exact same words to describe something in a passage that is meant to inspire us. We're not to be weak. We're not to be frightened. We're not to be fearful in all sorts of uncertainty. We can trust in the God who is certain, in the God who has certainly acted. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? that God will provide because he has provided Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Lord, we are so prone to just desire all the answers. 
Give me the answer key before you take the test. But God, you have chosen another path. You ask us to exercise faith. Sometimes in the uncertainty, God, we don't know what you're doing, but we can have faith that you are doing something because you are a God who acts. You are a God who has acted.